What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. In a sense, Bernie Sanders has already won. This is Bloomberg, sound on with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. U.S. stocks plunge the most since the financial crisis. A complete look at Wall Street, which is now urging for a shock and awe stimulus to end the market bleeding. Fresh reaction from the White House. Fresh reaction from Capitol Hill. And what is the White House going to do? What are lawmakers going to do? And what has been a very turbulent Monday morning as the fallout, not just from the coronavirus, but also in the energy sector, now front and center inside of the nation's capital. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Jury and Timmer, Director of Global Macro at Fidelity Investments, is going to kick off the show. Mark Postenbach is here, Democratic Strategist, Senior Vice President at Rock Solutions, former National Press Secretary of the DNC during the 2016 presidential campaign. Scott Tranter returns. They've got some fresh polling on the coronavirus. CEO of Optimus and former data science director for Marco Rubio for president. Lots to get through. Lots of volatility on this Monday. Folks, we got to get right into it because the markets were absolutely volatile today and plunged the most since the financial crisis. Reading from the Bloomberg Terminal, U.S. stocks plunged more than 7.5% in the worst day on Wall Street since the financial crisis as a full-blown oil price war rattled markets already on edge over the spreading coronavirus. We've got every angle covered. Coming up, we're going to talk about what the White House is doing. The president uh, having an economic team meeting. He's going to be summoning uh, executives from the business community later this week. We've got the congressional angle covered. There's chatter that they might have to shut down some of the session. I'll bring you the latest on what my reporting is, plus the regulatory hurdles on Capitol Hill. But we begin tonight with Jurian Timmer, Director of Global Macro at Fidelity Investments. Uh, Jurian joins us on the telephone line. Thank you so much for being here. Can Wall Street stop the bleeding tomorrow? Um, well, it's hard to know exactly what will happen on a day-to-day basis, of course. But after a decline of this magnitude, generally speaking, the next day or a few days, uh, we'll see some sort of rebound. And, you know, we saw that last week, right? For every day that we went down 2 or 3 or 4%, the next day we went up. And, you know, I don't want to predict that that's going to happen tomorrow. But obviously, after last week and Friday, actually, we had a reasonable close after uh, an earlier uh, downturn. 
uh, it actually looked like things were starting to find some stability. And then, of course, we got this bolt from the blue over the weekend uh, with with the oil markets, um, and that uh, that basically caused a whole new repricing. So, you know, we're we're in a what I would call a chaotic price discovery process uh, for the stock market and uh, and all financial markets because we don't know. What the hit to GDP is going to be? What kind of uh, what kind of earnings contraction we might see in the first quarter? Your earnings season for Q1 is still uh, four weeks away, and so the market is just sort of guessing here, and uh, and that leads to a lot of volatility. So volatility does tend to go in two ways. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if tomorrow we're up, uh, not not seven percent, but certainly something meaningful. I mean, it, but uh, how? Just to see, even on Bloomberg Television now, it's it's on the monitor in our in our studio to see Tom Keen talking to Jonathan Farrow and this the the headline the worst financial uh, plunge since two thousand and eight for the stocks and the S and all but nine S and P five hundred companies were lowered on Monday. Energy producers routed by twenty percent. Are we headed toward a recession? Did the chances of a recession during and Timmer dramatically increase today, or or you do you think there's still hope we'll avoid it? Um, my sense. So first of all, I I don't think this is like the financial crisis. I mean that. I mean this in a way is sort of a perfect storm, especially with the energy um, uh, dimension throw in. But the financial crisis was a whole different animal. But we do have this kind of perfect storm condition of, you know, not only uh, the stock market via earnings, but now the the commodity markets, the the credit markets. Of course, one thing to remember why the oil decline is systemic is a because the U.S. is now the largest oil producer in the world, and b because uh, the, the, the there's a transmission mechanism into the credit markets because the credit markets are kind of dominated by by the more marginal energy plays, and I'm talking about the high-yield credit markets. But to your question, I do think that um, at least a technical recession, which uh, sounds cute, but by technical recession, I mean... There's nothing cute about a recession. No, no, no. no. But I mean, but when I think about recessions historically, right, and I've been uh, a student of market history all my career, generally speaking, what you get is a policy error by the Fed. They raise rates too much. That causes an inventory cycle where companies have over-invested in their you know, capital goods and their inventories, and then they kind of sit there with unsold goods, and, and, and as it doesn't sell, they lay off people, and you get this whole chain reaction. And then if you add to that financial um, excesses in terms of leverage, you get a financial crisis. Right. But in this case, I think we could see a technical recession of a quarter or two of negative growth because we have both a demand shock and a supply chain shock happening, and that's a very unusual sort of one-two punch. Wow. Uh, but but not all recessions are, are the same, and I think if we do get one, and I think the market is, in fact, pricing one in, at least an earnings recession, um, then, um, you know, again, that's part of that discovery process. And the S&P is down 19%, you know, as we speak. So we're, we're kind of on the cusp of that uh, bear market threshold, whether we actually see one or not. Jury and Timmer's on the line, Director of Global Macro at Fidelity Investments. And we've got about two minutes left, so I'll ask you this quick as it relates to the energy market. What the heck happened with the energy market today? Russia and the Saudis, what went on? Um, so 
you know, this is actually sort of uh, a, a victim of, of the coronavirus in a way. Uh, and obviously there's all kinds of other geopolitical overlays. But essentially, whenever oil prices decline because you have a demand shock, which of course is what we saw in the last few weeks, uh, generally OPEC meets and they cut production to boost prices. And um, I guess they could not get an agreement, and maybe who knows what else is um, happening behind the scenes, but essentially a, um, it turned into a price war, and Saudi Arabia said, you know, we're just going to produce all the oil we can to at least get the share, even if we don't get the price. And, you know, whether, and, and apparently that's a, a price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia, but the U.S., now that it's such an important supplier of oil in the shale industry, uh, has been put in the crosshairs of that. And again, that transmission mechanism for our markets is that even though the energy sector is only 3% of the S&P 500, um, it's 12% of the high-yield corporate bond market. Right. And so the marginal players that don't really do well if oil prices are below, let's say, 45 bucks. Those are getting affected, and that feeds into the credit markets, and then wow. that feeds into this whole contagion that, we, that we're seeing today. Jerry and Timmer, appreciate your time. I kept you overboard. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, Director of Global Macro at Fidelity Investments. Coming up, what's the president going to tell Wall Street? What's the president going to tell all the CEOs who are going to be at the White House this week? The insurers who are coming to the White House later this week as well. And is Congress going to act? As again, the S&P 500 energy at the lowest level since 2004, not to mention the volatility index now, the worst since 2009. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. There have been rumors that the Trump administration may pursue policies to stimulate the economy. Let me be very clear. The best way to ensure economic security for the American people right now is to deal with the coronavirus itself competently and full on. That was Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer speaking earlier today as the nation's top Democrat in the Senate saying that health officials are flying blind in terms of economic security. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Mark Postenbach is here. Scott Tranter is here as well. Scott, your firm has a new poll out for the coronavirus. Yeah. So we have uh, been polling battleground states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, since Q1 of last year. Right. So we asked the coronavirus question over the weekend. And Trump has a net positive approval on his handling of the coronavirus. And 70 percent of the of the voters surveyed in those three states do not have any plans to change what they're doing because of the coronavirus. We it'll be interesting how that tracks, especially given Today. today's news. Um, but as of today, net positive approval rating on his handling of it, and most people do not expect to. Did you poll Wall the, Street? We did not poll Wall Street. Because the Dow fell more than two thousand points today. <laughs> exactly. To poll to came out of the field of last night, so it was it was basically current as of twenty four hours and ago. That's, that's that's Republicans and Democrats. Republicans, people who are going to decide the election in Michigan, yeah, Pennsylvania, and uh, Wisconsin. Well, let's take a listen to to uh, Health Secretary. Terry Alex Azar. I was at the White House today, and in, in the morning, you know, for for Bloomberg, and and there I am, and there's the, the Health and Human Services Secretary, and I tell you this, folks, there's so much conflicting reports out there. I mean, it's it's night and day. 
with who's in charge, what needs to get done, and it's it's very much unlike any situation I've I've covered. Uh, but because on the one hand, Vice President Pence is leading the charge, and and I've been hearing good things from my sources in the business community in Washington about how they think Mark Short's doing and 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 everything like that. But then you hear. Well, why isn't Secretary Azar doing this? Or why isn't HUD Secretary Ben Carson, he is a doctor, why isn't he doing this? But let's take a listen to Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar. Here he is. President Trump is leading a whole-of-government response on, with the vice president helping him on the public health issues we're facing with the novel coronavirus. That is his number one concern in terms of the economy. He and his economic team have the tools to keep this economy going strong. They delivered that historic economic, the historic economic fundamentals. They've got tools to deal with that. They, they say they've got tools to deal with it, but four minutes in, and I didn't get to talk about this with Jurian uh, earlier, four minutes in, losses reached 7%, and that triggered the New York Stock Exchange circuit breakers. You, you hear this? Circuit breakers breakers they halted trading for 15 minutes because because of the triggers that were doing and they they utilized this mechanism in order for traders to catch their breath to breathe to relax but there was no relaxing today mark yeah, no, I think that one of the problems that uh, you're seeing here is the mixed messages, right, between the White House and the CDC. President Trump is tweeting out one thing, saying this, don't worry about it, this is just like the flu, and you have the CDC officials saying the exact opposite, right? A lot of people are going to be exposed to this, you can expect a lot of people to be sick. And I think that, plus the president being all over the place, that's where you get sort of the conflict between the Fed and White House economic advisors. And so I think people are, what you're really looking for is a sense of security, understanding like what's going to happen. And without that, um, you're just going to have a continued problems with the market and with public sentiment. Well, and in terms of public sentiment, uh, uh, Scott, uh, I, I was as the day continued after the circuit breakers happened, you started to get the sense that the White House was waking up in terms of the economic response and, and things that needed to get done. And we should note that the, it's we're not the only country dealing with this. Europe is upside down. The Italian, the entire country of Italy, self-quarantine. And we're trying to get someone on in, the, in later this week from Italy. To, I just want to know, what do you do? But, but seriously, I mean, it's volatility that's coming not just from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and, and Wall Street's reacting to that. But as the day went on, then my colleagues Jennifer Jacobs, Saleh Mosin, as well as the other White House team of print members, they began reporting that over the weekend there was developments that the president's economic team was going to present him with the type of plans as it relates to some type of stimulus package or some type of economic stimulus that they would be able to do. Senate Finance Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley, top uh, Republican from the state of Iowa, he's saying that they're exploring potentially for there to be a tax regulatory relief. Uh, my colleague Craig Torres and I reporting that Senator Mark Warner uh, the t one of the top Democrats on the Senate Banking Committee, they're asking for there to be some guidance from the regulators about how to deal uh, with financial institutions and, and consumers who might not be able to make their payments on time because they're going to be self-quarantined or, or whatnot. Or they're working to make them. I think the biggest thing is, is offer polling from this weekend, 75% of the people as of Sunday night said they don't think there's any changes coming because of the coronavirus. But we know differently. Can you imagine? Opening day in Washington, D.C. is a month from now. 35,000 people are going to be walking into a stadium. 
theoretically. They just shut down South by Southwest, $350 million in the Austin economy. There's slews of conferences being canceled in Las Vegas. Like, people are, are, are doing the right thing out of a bunch of caution, but that costs money. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the things we should think about, too, is that it's becoming more and more real for people, right? So they're going to work. Um, they're being told, you know, out of abundance of caution that we need, you need to telework today, right? They're being told, um, you know, one of our, you know, one of your colleagues is sick, and so therefore you need to, to go home. And I think, you know, that's bringing up real issues around things like paid sick leave, for example, right? right. That's one of the things that you're seeing, I think a little bit, not a disconnect, but certainly a debate in Congress, right? You have the Republicans that are saying, look, we need payroll tax cuts. Democrats largely are saying things like, you know, we need paid sick leave. We need to have a, unemployment insurance. We need SBA money. Um, put in but there, so it's a little bit different. I, in terms I hear of the you. I hear you both, and, and I, everything you're saying, I agree with. But I got to keep this focus because here we are, when U.S. stocks plunge the most since the financial crisis. Think about that: the U.S. stocks today plunge the most since the financial crisis, and everyone's all over the map. I mean, they don't know how they're going to handle this. No party, right? I mean, am I based? You're I mean, not wrong. There's confusion, and I'm struck by this because. There isn't. There doesn't seem to be a cohesive strategy coming from the left or the right in terms of this is what we have to do to stop the economic bleeding. Because while you know, look, I mean, I the, the I don't want to. I'm not a doctor, but I, you know, in, in reporting on this, it seems like the economic impacts of this are unavoidable. I mean, look at the Bloomberg terminal. You go no further than that to see everything in red. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they have long-term – look, it's not going to wrap itself up in a week. This is – there's only going to be more people getting diagnosed. There's going to be more stuff canceled. It's just going to be going on forever. All right. Coming up, we're going to talk more about the 2020 impacts of this. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. The most powerful tool in responding to a virus is to know precisely where it is and how it is spreading. But because we don't have a complete handle on testing, many of our hospitals, doctors, researchers, and public health officials are flying blind. Flying blind. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer the Democrat from New York, speaking earlier today on Capitol Hill. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio. Mark Postenbach is here. He's a Democratic strategist, a senior vice president at Rock Solutions, former national press secretary of the DNC during the 2016 presidential, and Scott Tranter, CEO of Optimus. Every time I say Optimus, I want to say Optimus Prime. Uh, and former data science director for Marco Rubio for president. He was talking trash on me on the way into the studio <laughs> because he says I can't do long division. You learn long division. You can wear sandals in the office like I am right now. You know, well, I'm going to be very careful with what I say next. But no, I don't think that my I, – I never – I'll be wearing suits at Bloomberg. <laughs> um, so listen to this. 
I wasn't. I go back and forth with whether or not I'm worried about. I, obviously, I'm worried about the coronavirus, but I go back and forth of whether or not I should avoid public places. I'm going to be very honest. I went to the DC United game over the weekend, and I was talking with Janet Donovan at Cafe Milano yesterday, and she said that Timothy Cole, and this is public, so I'm not outing him. Timothy Cole, the rector of the Washington D.C. church near Georgetown, tested positive for the coronavirus. And she was all that that worried her. So that worried me. And now I'm curious, Scott, if you're worried. Yeah, look, I live in Navier by the baseball scene. We have opening day in a month. There's going to be 35,000 people coming to see the world championship Nats. I mean, maybe they don't have the game. Who knows? We've got a long way to go. But you have to wonder when you get all these named people, like we heard the the University of Maryland update, um, Virginia update, you got to wonder where are these people and where are they around you? And it's probably, this fear is, the paranoia is probably a little too much, but you can't be too careful with your own health. I was in Trader Joe's. Everything's gone last night. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't get anything. Yeah, it's like worse than a blizzard. How is it? How has it impacted you? Uh, it certainly made me think of you know how we operate the office. Whether I travel, I travel up to New York a whole lot. The Acela is empty. Maybe I don't want to take the Acela. Maybe you don't want to fly. I mean, that that hurts the business and economy. Changes vacation plans for the summer. That's you know linking it back to public opinion. Most of the public is not making you know changing their plans around this, but I think they're going to have to, and that's going to that's going to have an impact in the election and the markets. I'm more stressed. That I should be changing more, but I gotta be candid. I haven't really changed anything. Yeah, nor have I. I mean, I, I, you know, it's affected my sort of travel plans. And I just, I was actually thinking before uh, we got on the air, like, what does that mean for the economy, you know, writ large, right? And right. if you look at um, travel and uh, hospitality-related industries after 9/11, just by way of example, right? Right. You had 110,000 or 115,000 jobs lost by the end of that year between the attack and the end of the year, and it was 70 percent were in airlines um, and hotels. 70 percent. Yeah. So those those industries are going to take a huge, huge hit. And, um, you know, as we were saying earlier, that that's just beginning now. Right. As people start thinking about those things, it's the first day, the first couple days. OK, maybe you can rearrange your plans. But you start looking out a couple weeks, a couple months. It just snowballs. So, OK, we talked about the market reactions, which, of course, the U.S. stocks have plunged the most since the financial crisis today, today. Which so I mean it's a it's a major market major market moving day, uh, but the political ramifications on this front, in terms of the 2020 race, where, how do you think this will play out for Biden and Sanders mm-hmm. as we head into tomorrow night's uh, bevy uh, a handful of primaries? Mm-hmm. So I think you know more broadly, and I would step back a little bit and look at. Um, you know, the the general. Actually, I could talk a little bit about the primary. I think that you look at someone like Joe Biden and you see someone who has been chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. You look at someone um, who's been, uh, you know, Senate Judiciary uh, and Foreign Relations, excuse me, uh, chair, but also being vice president. Um, and I think voters look at that as a positive right now. They look at Donald Trump as someone who maybe is giving conflicting opinions. Um, you know, you have a, a White House that is probably in a little bit of disarray. They don't have the same sort of level of officials um, dealing with this as, let's say, Tim Guy or Larry Summers. Right. Um, and so that's a huge deal. And I think people can see it and they can feel it. But, and but, I think but. that's key both in the primary, but but also the general. Sorry. Mark, you know, or you know what you just did there? You dodged. It was a very <laughs> good dodge, but it was a dodge. 
And I and here's what I mean. Yeah. Because if you're Bernie Sanders, you're going to say, oh, you can't pay for Medicare for all, but you can pay for free medical kits. Talk to me about the. I don't talk to me about how the contrast is going to be drawn between Sanders and Biden in particular as we. There's a debate Sunday in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think at the debate you're going to hear a lot about his time as vice president, right? His time dealing with things like the Ebola crisis. His time dealing um, with terrorism-related things that Bernie Sanders just. You know, by dint of the fact that he's in the Senate, didn't have to worry about. And so Biden can talk personally about those experiences. And I think that's a way to sort of distinguish himself in this race. I didn't know you went to the London School of Economics. Yep. Barely, barely got out of there alive. <laughs> it was a fun experience. And you yeah. also graduated from Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism. I did. So you really are in the right place right now. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm like worried. Maybe we shouldn't have Mark on so much. (laughs) Scott. Even more. Scott, about about the divide between uh, Sanders and Biden. I mean, how do you think the coronavirus plays into into that? Is it a boost for Biden because it allows him to talk about experience? Or is it a boost for Bernie Sanders in the sense that he can say, hey, Medicare for all? You know what? To be honest, I I don't think it's going to help any of them because you know what? Bernie's on the ropes. He's he's sticking around. He's got a one-on-one debate like on it. Sunday. Uh, there's, I mean, all of our models have Biden sweeping all but Washington, and we'll see what it looks like tomorrow with the polls. Same Florida, Illinois, which is a week from tomorrow, look even better for him. I don't know that the coronavirus helps either of them, other than that Biden gets to talk about how he handled the Ebola. He basically gets to talk about, it. yeah, I was presidential and I've actually run things. But with Michigan, here's a state that Bernie Sanders carried. Okay, back in the last cycle, speak against Hillary. Speaking of which, I did binge some of the Hillary on Hulu. We'll talk about that on my radar. <laughs> but it is interesting. But 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 here's a state that he won, and now he's poised to lose. That's got to be devastating to Bernie Sanders. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest problem for him was that on Super Tuesday, he really needed to win some states to gather some delegates. Because if you look at tomorrow, you look at a week from tomorrow, you've got states like Michigan where he's losing particularly badly. And then you look at Florida where, depending on what poll you're looking at, I saw one, he was up 49 or 50. Is that the number? Yeah. So it's really tough to sort of close that gap over the next couple of contests. And I think that's what's going to be very interesting tomorrow. Because even if you keep it close in a bunch of states, the delegates they've already you know picked up are just going to be yeah. tough to. Yeah, no, the delegates. Look, Biden's going to when we're done counting in California, Biden's going to have between sixty and hundred delegate lead, and that's before we stop counting what we're going to win tomorrow. And Biden's going to win the most delegates tomorrow. The only question is, Bernie going to at least keep it even in Michigan and maybe win Washington? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think this is going to be really tough. He's going to be, he, you know, he basically gave up in Mississippi. You yeah. know, moved immediately to Michigan because he knew he had to shore up support there. But yeah. that's not a, a good look heading into yeah. these primary yeah. primary. And a week he's got Florida and Illinois where Biden's up, as you're referencing, 20, 30 points in some of these states like Florida and Illinois. I mean, that's those are delegate rich. Huge states. Yeah. You can't lose by yeah. that much. So, OK, devil's advocate. Is there any way Bernie Sanders can turn this around? I think that it'd be very, very difficult at this point. I think that wow. you really have to. I mean, it, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying like the numbers don't You're bear this out. Up. Yeah, I mean the, the the swing. I will say this: the swing between we're looking at the rear clear average polling average on the 27th of February to Super Tuesday. I mean, you're talking 20-point swings in yeah. certain states. I mean, that's incredible. You've not seen that. I mean, uh, you know, I've not certainly seen that. And not from that. just one or two polls, lots of polls. Yeah. Look, in our modeling, we give, as of this afternoon, we give Bernie Sanders a 25% chance to win. 14 days ago, before the before the Nevada caucuses, we gave Biden a 25% chance of winning. Well, so these things can certainly flip. The difference is 14 days ago, we didn't have more than 1,000 delegates awarded. In other words, Bernie's got to win, and then he's got to claw it back. 
And it's possible that's why he's sticking around for the one-on-one debate, but we're running out of states. We're running out of states. We actually, uh, Cory Booker endorsed uh, Biden today. Uh, so, I mean, there's that. I mean, he's really coalescing everybody behind him. And Kamala. He got Kamala the other day. He got all of them. He, look, it's, 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 when, it seems inevitable. When you're on a roll, Dare I it's say really it? tough. Yeah. It, yeah. it seems inevitable. But I'm curious to see... I'm curious to see, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm curious to see how how Bernie Sanders plays this in the in the long run because it's starting to feel inevitable. This this could be. Am I wrong to say no, that? No, no, no. Not only inevitable. Look, this is his last chance. A Sunday debate one on one. This is probably the last big if event. They have it. It's either win. It's either it's either destroy at this debate and come back and win, or this is his last major political event of his political career. All right. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, the last major event of his political career. Scott Trancer just really setting the scene for us. Coming up, what's on their radar? I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. This moment in time, I'm telling you right now, Michigan, you've got to know that this could be the turning point, not just of a primary campaign. This could be the day we remember where we turned our whole nation around and got us from going the wrong way to the right way. Senator Cory Booker from Jersey speaking in Michigan. He endorsed former Vice President Joe Biden on the campaign trail. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We're following multiple fronts on the coronavirus. The U.S. stocks plunged today, the most since the financial crisis. We're anticipating word from the White House in the 6 p.m. hour. This, as reports surfaced earlier today, that the administration is summoning executives from the business community to the White House, from the insurance community to the White House later this week. Also, as lawmakers in both parties are now openly grappling with some type of economic stimulus response to the coronavirus. And I had one staffer tell me that at the chief of staff meeting, you know how they have that the chiefs of staff of all the House members, they all huddle. And they were openly talking about whether or not they're going to have to postpone Congress because of, I mean, uh, uh, truthfully, folks, there are there's a demographic of lawmakers who are significantly older, and that's what's getting impacted by the coronavirus. And tomorrow, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin and Larry Kudlow, they're going to be talking to the Republicans in the Senate at their Senate lunch. So, Washington now fully, fully integrated into the Wall Street economic crisis, I, I want to say, as we're now openly talking as we kicked off the start of the show about the potential of some type of correction, dare I say recession, um, as the world, around the world now, coronavirus is in full swing. Uh, we've got Mark Postenbach here, Scott Tranter as well. So you hear all of that, and I'm an optimist, but Mark, you're, you graduated from the London School of Economics. <laughs> Are you optimistic today on Monday? I think it's going to require two things from Congress. One is going to be um, clarity. Right. Here's what we're here's what we're going to do to try and fix this. Right. And the other is I think they're going to need to be very creative. Right. As the economist at the top of the show mentioned, there's too many variables, too many things happening at once to create a perfect storm. So, like, for example, on paid sick leave, California, Massachusetts, New York has paid sick leave. Even if you ex did something nationally, that usually only 
applies to the person who's sick. But what happens if you're they sent home? They want a stimulus. What if you're sent home? Right? And can so I, you I hear you on the paid sick leave, but I, I mean, when I was when you talk to the when you get really wonky and into this, the issue is beyond paid sick leave. Yeah. You're going to have mm-hmm. people who are not able to pay their bills. Tax season's just around the corner. All of this data, if people are are having to not, I mean, the part time gig economy, people yeah. are not going to. I mean, it Restaurants, is. Restaurants. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 as if there's a blizzard that has not going to stop for the next several months. Yeah. Well, I was going to say is, I, look, having used to work in Congress, I'm not counting on Congress or the executive branch to do anything because they really can't. Really, this comes down to county governments, state governments, which you see Larry Hogan doing in Maryland, taking this over on the communication side as well as on the action side. At the end of the day, Congress is not going to open up new hospitals or make sure these things are, are executed correctly. They're not going to, I mean, they can approve money in those types of things, and that's great, and they should do those things, but it's really going to be local and state governments that are going to be the ones that help people They're get gonna through mon- Stimulus. Yeah. I, I They're going to want the yeah, money. Th- They're yeah, going to want right. the money, Who but then doesn't? they got to do something with the money. Yeah, no, it's going to be I, – I, I buckle up. Yeah. Because then you've got Senator Elizabeth Warren tweeting out today, hey, d- banks, don't – I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Don't take uh, – don't use this as an opportunity to, to bend in your direction. I mean mm-hmm. – Anytime there's a stimulus, it's gonna it's gonna open up some significant divides on uh, on the street and in Washington and amongst you know there's gonna be some strange political bedfellows as well. Wow! I, uh, welcome to this week, guys. <laughs> uh, okay, time now for my favorite part of the show. What is your quick take on your radar, Scott? Go, you're first. Uh, one of the greatest, whether or not you're a political junkie or not. Look, the debate on Sunday night, one on one, Biden versus Bernie. Bernie's got to have wait. a big night to come back from a delegate, but this is the fight for the soul of the Democratic Party. They've got Biden on the establishment side, center left, and they got Bernie the revolutionary, who has basically said, screw it, I, I want to win. I should have won last time, I want to win this time. It is, if you are a sports fan, this is probably one of the greatest debate matchups we're going to have in the last 20 years. But it seems as if... He's got to win. I mean, he's he, got to win, yeah. which is why it's great. Because this is look, if Sanders loses, this is the last time he will be on this level of stage and, and the political arena. And if he wins, he's got a tough slog. But this is what this is what he wanted. This is this is what he set up for. And he's going to have the whole stage for himself, two hours in prime time to explain to the Democratic Party why his style of 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 politics is you know good for his party. I in was America. watching Hillary on Hulu over the weekend. And I was skimming it. I haven't made my way through all of it. But I did get to the part where uh, she criticizes Senator Bernie Sanders. I will say, whether, you, whether you're a Hillary fan or not, it's riveting, this mm-hmm. documentary. I mean, she's, she, you, I, you haven't seen Hillary Clinton be this candid mm-hmm. uh, and really not care. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's very her, – her interviews are very unscripted. And Bill Clinton's in it too. And uh, – uh, and, and, He's very candid uh, in terms of the in terms of the whole the Hulu documentary situation, but she trashes Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was like, does she know she's did she know she's doing this? You know the mic's on. It, it, <laughs> I mean, I ask myself every day, but I mean, but it was pretty interesting to see her be so candid. So I, I'm I'm struck to see how that plays as well. And now everyone's endorsed, with the exception of Warren hasn't endorsed anyone. Not that but I know. Uh, pretty did, remarkable. Yeah. I don't. I'm curious where. 
where she goes. All right, what's your quick take on your radar? Yeah, so one of the things um, uh, I, I'd be very interested to see, um, for example, on the economic side, whether low-wage workers um, who are going to be disproportionately impacted, how quickly they're impacted um, with respect to coronavirus. They're the folks that are um, most likely to be laid off, most likely not to have paid sick leave. Um, and that's what's really going to, I think, affect the economy um, pretty quickly here. Um, Very if quickly. They don't have, you know, the income. They're not buying. Um, that's, you know, the fastest way to see a real impact. Um, and, you know, for for my firm, for example, or myself, you know, um, I'm able to telework, right? I'm able to work from home. Um, a lot of people aren't. They uh, aren't able to do that if they're working in brick-and-mortar retail stores and things like that. So that, I think, um, you know, will be something to watch. I think that's that is very great uh, in terms of what what to watch for, and for me, I'm watching Italy uh, because they in Europe arguably have it the worst right now, and and they're all on lockdown. Um, they've expanded it. I want to read from the terminal just to set the stage because I I, I want to be careful. I don't want to incite Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte said he'll move to extend restrictive measures on travel currently in force in the north throughout the rest of the country in a bid to limit the spread of the coronavirus after the number of cases soared by 25%. Cases in Spain almost doubled and French President Emmanuel Macron called for urgent European cooperation. Uh, And just in terms of uh, the Italians, they're on lockdown. They've extended a travel ban nationwide and he's extending restrictive measures on travel uh, throughout the rest of the country, and the cases have just surged there. Italy is at the center of the outbreak in Europe, uh, which has reported 9,172 coronavirus cases on Monday, and that's up from just over 7,375 7, the day before. So, I mean, you think of the impact. You mentioned 9-11, uh, Mark, on, and the impact on the travel industry. The, who's flying to Italy right now? I mean... Brutal. It's brutal. But I am an optimist. And the World Health Organization said that this is the first time there's ever been a pandemic because I can't end a show on a down note uh, that the that there's been it's not a pandemic technically yet. But this is the first time there's been a, a, a something of this magnitude that has actually been controlled. So when you look at it from that perspective, while while oftentimes situations can feel uncontrollable, actually, in societal norms, this is quite controlled. Government's so, working. The, yep. You know, around the world. Maybe we would like to have it work a little bit better. All right. Better. Thank you to Scott. Thank you to Mark. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.